Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to the Profoundly Pointless Summer Special. Coming up in this episode, fireworks, candles, and off-brands. What I really love about pyrotechnics is the immediacy of it. You get to witness this one little thing, and then if you're not there, it's gone. 960,000 devices, which was a world record. (laughs) In eight minutes. (laughs) 52 different cities spread out around the entire kingdom of Saudi Arabia. For me, there's like certain memories, you know, that that are very like like stuck in my head that I can remember that were like, oh my God, you know, like that was like for that time and place, like the coolest thing ever. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So we're going to have two guests this episode. The first one is a pyrotechnician who specializes in making handmade fireworks. This is pyrotechnician Stephen Yoss. I think everybody has heard of a pyrotechnician, but I don't really know what a pyrotechnician is doing. Like I know, but I don't really know. You know, I would say it is a professional who is qualified and is properly trained on the safe execution of doing uh, fireworks displays. And there are a lot of different probably nuances with respect to that particular term. Uh, And for myself, you know, I'm coming from the professional display community, you know, so I when I'm working with pyrotechnics, I'm doing it in the context of a public display for a 4th of July show or a birthday party or something like that. And to me, that particular word, it means somebody who is is gone through the proper training and has the proper qualifications to be able to execute a show safely. So how much training will go into it? Being a pyrotechnician, you know, who has a license, uh, and it's important to note that like my license comes from, in my case, the state of California from the office of the state fire marshal. Uh, it's a license just like any other profession, whether you're a CPA, which I also am, or a lawyer or a medical doctor, you know, you're, you're getting a license from the state that shows and demonstrates that you have gone through the proper training and have the proper background to be able to do this. And in my particular case, uh, it's a lifelong thing. I grew up in the profession. My dad, uh, while not a licensed pyrotechnician, has been in the community for pretty much his life, which means it's the entirety of my life. I grew up doing this. Uh, and then when I turned 18, that's when I really kind of started shooting shows. And that, at least here in the state of California, is the minimum age to be able to handle pyrotechnics. And for the first several years, it was just apprenticing. It's just basically learning from other people. And I would say that it is very much a tradition that's been handed down thousands of years, really kind of going back to the invention of black powder to today from person to person. Um 
whether it be the safe and presentation of a show or, you know, where I actually do is we actually make fireworks too. You know, beyond the actual 4th of July uh, shows, you know, there's a whole community, which I'm a part of, where we're still practicing the traditional art of making pyro, the different methods and manners of wiring a, uh, a show or the different methods and manners of rolling stars to make the different effects. Uh, that you really learn, you know, there's so much, it's just like baking in that particular way where, you know, you really can't learn it until you do it. And with anybody who's maybe interested in going out and becoming a pyrotechnician, I would encourage you to kind of learn from somebody who, who has been in the industry and who has had those years of experience because there's so much you'll pick up from somebody else. Now, beyond that, to get your license, there are specific requirements at every state. And again, I'm, I'm here in the state of California, so our requirements are going to be different than Nevada, which are going to be different than Washington or elsewhere. Uh, but there's a huge component of it that's the experience that you pick up from other pyros, uh, working on shows. Then there's a written test and exam. There's a training program that you have to go through. Um, then there's uh, background checks and other things like that. But uh, And I would encourage our listeners to uh, review their state fire marshal guidelines on what's required. But uh, I would tell you, just go out and do it. You know, and find a pyro and just start swinging a hammer and start building a show and actually just start learning from somebody. That's the best way of getting started. So it's a real kind of training thing. It's not like I'm CPR certified, but I took a two hour course yeah. and I couldn't do CPR, <laughs> right? Like, sure. If if someone's life yeah. depended on it, it's a it's a real like. Oh no, you really got to know what you're doing. Yeah, no, it really now, is. Now, what's difficult about it? Is it putting together the show? Is it the safety aspect? Like what's the difficult part about being a pyrotechnician? You know, when you're a crew member, you know, it, it's often working with the pyro itself. It's a very physically demanding job. You know, we like to say it's firework, you know, cause it is work. It's a lot of fun. I mean, and for many of us, myself included, it's an, it's an ancillary thing to our lives in the sense that uh, it's not my my full-time gig. It's something I do many times throughout the year. So it's not the way that I earn my living, um, but it's still work. You know, like I tell people, like I take vacation from my normal job to go do physical manual labor in the sun uh, every 4th of July and throughout the year. And I love it. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. But when you're a crew member, it's often uh, the physical labor side of this. Uh, the equipment we're working with, the mortars themselves are very heavy. Uh, you could be working with anything from stuff that weighs, you know, a couple of pounds to hundreds of pounds. You know, a 10-inch mortar, which is a steel gun, has a side-in wall, probably about a quarter inch of cold rolled steel in a sanded mortar box can weigh a thousand pounds easily, you know, and, and you're working often, you know, with really heavy things, moving them around uh, to get them into the position that you want them to be. And it's a physically demanding job. The mortar is the thing shooting off the fireworks, correct? Think of it as the tube, okay. you know, so you have the mortar and you have the shell. And so the shell is the firework itself. We call it product in the industry, the product of the show. And then the mortar is what we shoot it out of. Uh, and a term mortar is a very generic term. It's used in the military. It's used obviously in our profession. It just, it's, it's the, it's the tube that ultimately the firework will leave from. 
And when a firework goes off, you know, we have a firework seated at the bottom of the mortar. And when we light it, it produces a ton of gas, like a tremendous amount of gas. Uh, and that creates a concussion at the bottom of the mortar that ultimately projects the shell out of the mortar itself up into the sky. And we know roughly, you know, the size based off of the diameter of that shell, how big it'll go, meaning how wide it'll shoot, how high it'll go in the air, how long it'll take to get to the apex. And all of that's determined by the firework itself and ultimately the mortar you use. So are they pretty standard in the sense that like, look, this is a math calculation at the end of the day. And if we put mm -hmm. this much in at this, it is going to do exactly yep. this. Or can they be unpre in yes. unpredict unpredictable? The, the stuff that we're shooting uh, that we use for public displays, you know, and I'll point out like our company, Pyro Spectaculars by Sousa, we shoot the annual New Year's Eve show at the Space Needle. You know, every year we've been doing it for many, many years at this point. Um, everything on that that show is tested. Everything on that show is professional grade. Everything on that show has been cleared to be used on that. And we know 100 uh, percent we have uh, safety procedures and we also have testing procedures that when we receive product that we will put this product through evaluations to ensure it is something that is reliable, that's going to be the effect that we're going for, and then ultimately safe for the public. Uh, but we know, I mean, I, apart from this, apart from the public display aspect of this, you know, when you're making a firework itself, it's not 100% uh, a formula, it's, it's art and science, but uh, we roughly know, you know, if I do this and this and this, it's going to yield something that'll look something like this. Now, just like a baker baking a cake, I mean, you can, you know, have some variations on that. But for the most part, we know roughly what it's going to be. And um, what I would tell you, the rough calculations, this isn't perfect, but the rough is that for about every inch of diameter of shell, and typically you'll start off, the smallest shells are going to be about three inches, and those are our finale shells. And uh, for our, um, we use those a lot in finales, and we also we use them throughout everywhere, but three inches is about the standard smallest size that most of the time we're working with for aerial, and it obviously can change. Uh, going all the way up to the, the largest standard production size is 12 inch, but I will point out they can go much bigger than that, much bigger. But uh, roughly for about every inch of caliber, it's roughly about um, 100 feet of burst, meaning it'll go 100 feet wide, it'll go 100 feet in the air, and it'll take a second to get there. So roughly, let's say like an 8-inch shell, which would be a fairly large um, 4th of July production shell that we would use, that'll roughly go about 800 feet wide, it'll take 8 seconds to apex, and it'll go about 800 feet in the air, roughly. That actually works out very mm -hmm. well, right? So if you got a 1-inch shell, it's going to go 100 feet wide, it's going to take 1 second sure. to blow up. Is blow up the right? Yeah, that's not perfect. Is, is blow up the right word or the pyrotechnicians like, ooh, you don't say blow up. Yeah, well, no. I mean, detonate. Or, yeah, we have, we have, well, yeah, we have, we have different technical terms. Like a detonation would mean that the shell blows up in the mortar itself. Um, that's, that's what we refer to as a detto or detonation. Um, that's something obviously you don't want. But uh, no, we would just say that it shoots, you know, and then it'll burst in the sky. You know, burst would probably be the term I would use most, uh, most succinctly. So in my mind, right, like, are these basically just big black cats in the sense that like, all right, this, this is basically just an upscaled version of the firework stuff that you buy at the tent, or is this a fundamentally different thing? Yeah, great question. Um, so with respect to the pyro that we're shooting, the, we have two major classifications uh, 
three technically, but really in production, there's there's two major classifications. It actually comes from the Department of Transportation. We have 1.3 and we have 1.4. And 1.3 is aerial pyrotechnics, which is non-consumer. Um, these are these are I want to point out they're not high explosives, they're they're normal explosive devices. It's not like C4, it's not like debt cord or something like that. These are artistic effect. And it's important to note that our fireworks are art and what we're going for isn't necessarily the blast, but what that blast produces, beautiful colors, sound effects, things of this nature. And, and uh, those fireworks are designed for that. But aerial fireworks, which is the 1.3, which is the stuff we're typically dealing with here, um, you know, your consumer should never handle those. Um, I'm not going to say that they're unsafe, but they do require particular training and uh, safety um, awareness to be able to work correctly. And they also require, in almost all instances, a mortar, which, again, most consumers are not going to have. But these shells are um, – I mean, they're fundamentally different in terms of how they operate and they're typically single, single thing. Like you might end up getting a fountain or a cake or something like that from a consumer grade that might have lots of different effects in it. Uh, our effects are single purpose, you know, so it's like a, you know, let's say five inch red dahlia or it might be a, you know, a three inch uh, red, white, blue peony. Uh, but it does one thing and one thing only. Um, Like now you make some of the fireworks yourself. Does that, I guess, how do you make? A firework is it really just like breaking a cake like all right you take what's what's the thing that's blowing up like what are you using is it gunpowder i have i don't have any idea black powder um so with respect to making fireworks i want to make it very clear in the context of a fourth of july show like while well, i'll be shooting next week there are no handmade uh pyrotechnic devices that like i'm physically or personally making all the stuff is is uh professional grade all of this stuff is made in in very strict production quality environments you know to ensure the safety accuracy and reliability of the devices um, I'm a member of several different organizations, but the two most notable would be Pyrotechnics Guild International, PGI, which is our international uh, association of, let's just call it fireworks enthusiasts. And then I'm also a member of the Western Pyrotechnic Association, WPA. And we host a convention at both organizations where members will come together over a common love of fireworks. And throughout those events, there'll be many opportunities to manufacture your own pyro. And it could be learning how to make, uh, you know, uh, wheels, pinwheels. It could be learning how to make, you know, you know, different types of uh, aerial effects. Um, you learn how to make all that stuff uh, at those types of events under a environment where you're working for people who know what they're doing, that have the proper uh, safety considerations all taken care of. And um and you learn from one person to the other, from master to student. And uh, often with pyro, you know, you have uh, some pyrotechnic composition, as we are called, or comp, and it could be anything. Um, you know, we use different chemicals uh, to be able to create the different effects that we want it to be, you know. So, like, we have different effects that will make crackle. We have different effects that will make it bright and yellow or uh, bright and blue. You mix different chemicals together to ultimately get the effect that you're going for. And it's the process of kind of pulling it all together uh, that you'll ultimately create what are called stars. And stars are those pyrotechnic effects that have been rolled in certain chemicals. They end up as kind of, if you can imagine, little balls. And those end up like pixels in the sky. You know, like when you're looking yeah, yeah, at fireworks yeah. and you see the individual lights coming down. Those are those are what we call stars. And you make those by hand. Um, it's important to note every firework, every firework out there. Everything is made by hand. It doesn't matter if it's made by myself or it's made by a um, 
manufacturing facility, everything is made by hand. Uh, there is no really kind of like mass manufacturing of this. And somebody's hands ultimately made every effect that you've ever seen. And um, the difference is when you make it for yourself, you know, you can you could really put the attention to detail into these shells to get the exact effect, the symmetry, the color, the orientation, you know, that you're kind of going for. And, you know, what's beautiful about PGI and with Winter Blast, with the WPA, you'll see, I mean, almost everything at those events are made by hand. They're made by the members that are there. And you'll see stuff that you won't see anywhere else because that one shell might have taken that person three days or even longer to make. Wow, it takes that long. Oh, it could take way longer than that, you know. Uh, I have a good friend um, whose name is Jim Widman that uh, he's also a member of all of this. He's a current record holder for pretty much every large caliber firework you've ever seen. And he'll often work on a single shell for months to uh, to get that one perfect shell that goes off. And he's done shows all over the world, uh, often with very large pyro. Um, and by large, I mean like in the thousands of pounds per shell. And like, I think the biggest one he's done at this fuss, this point is like 60 inches. So like five feet in diameter, you know, and he could work on that shell for months to make that happen. Do you have to be super careful while you're making it? Like the one wrong move and the house is gone. Mm -hmm. Or is it pretty much like, look, just don't have a fire next to it and you're going to be fine. We have tables of distances that we have to follow. So if you're doing this, this, and this, you need X number of feet between structures. Uh, there's strict criteria and guidelines about what that uh, manufacturing space has to have. Certainly no flame, period. You know, but the other big thing that we have to think about is static electricity. You know, what's the atmospheric pressure? Um, you know, because certain things, for example, will create atmospheric pressure, which is going to create more static. Um, lightning, you know, is a huge consideration. You know, I would tell you anytime you're manufacturing, the, at least for myself, the first thing I'm thinking about is egress. You know, if, if something happens, how can I get away from here? This is absolutely not something you want to do just in your house or your backyard. You need to have a dedicated space to be able to do this correctly. Are there a lot of pyrotechnicians or is it hard to find people? In the state of California, in terms of licensed operators, there's a list that's maintained by the state. And uh, last time I looked at it, you know, there were several hundred people uh, with different licenses. It's important to note, there's not just one license. There's several different licenses you can have um, that have one license or the other. So it's only a couple hundred people here, at least in the state of California, which is one of the largest markets for pyro. Now, when, when it's time, when it's go time, right? Like, is somebody sitting there like, all right, light the match? Or is it basically computerized at this point? Uh, there are three ways of being able to shoot pyro. You can physically go out and light it, which many people still do. But then really with our company and, and other companies in the in the industry, they really kind of started to advocate for the safe presentation of this, where instead of lighting it by hand, where you're putting yourself physically near the fireworks itself, you can shoot these things electronically um, where essentially you can put a, a firing system sometimes, you know, hundreds of feet away or even further, and then be able to shoot it remotely. In the case of, of something uh, detrimental happening, you're not putting that specific operator at physical risk. And currently for our company, with very few exceptions, almost everything is shot electronically in that way. Now, in the 21st century, we shoot things digitally. And for our, our many of our shows now, we're, we're shooting them electronically, but they're being computer shot. And that really kind of allowed us to be able to do things with much tighter choreography, um, where we can choreograph the effects and the time that those effects go up in the sky to be able to produce fireworks shows that are cued specifically to music. And so when you see, you know, again, like the 1812 Overture and you hear the cannon fire going, you know, 
that cannon fire occurring is occurring at the same time we're shooting pyro in the air and it's perfectly synced up. It's not that you can't do that with electronic firing, which is a manual process where the pyro literally shoots each shell, but they're doing it remotely. The computer is just going to do it with such accuracy that um, really kind of separates, uh, I would say, um, the the ability to be able to choreograph these shows uh, to a much tighter timeline. That makes sense, right? Like I can still do math in mm-hmm. my head if I need to, but it's just easier sure. to have a calculator right here and do this. Yeah. Yeah, um, Absolutely. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yeah, sure. What is your favorite firework? What is your least favorite firework? Great question. Uh, For me, firework is about art, you know, and uh, really what I look for in a great firework. And I mean, there's so many different types of effects that are out there uh, that you can can consider. Uh, For me, what I really want to look for is, is just the quality of the shell itself. So I look for symmetry, you know, is it balanced? Does the left look like the right? Does top look like the bottom? You know, was it laid out correctly in the shell? I look for color, vibrance. You know, I really like beautiful, vibrant colors. I look for effect, uh, stuff I've never seen before, like chase sequences where a firework, for example, uh, they can call it, we call it ghosting, where we'll roll the shells in one color, let it dry, and then we'll roll them in another color. And as the firework burns, it can change colors, for example, from blue to red, you know, those, and sometimes it'll actually chase around the firework itself, you know, where it'll kind of uh, vibrant, uh, bright uh, flashing, which is kind of cool. Um, I look for, you know, kind of uh, unusual shapes. You know, we've got these sh- jellyfish shells that'll kind of like be uh, exactly like a jellyfish, you know, things of this nature or, you know, certain uh, certain uh, odd shapes, you know, certainly the stars, the boxes, the hearts. Those are always kind of fun to see and do. And from a, a manufacturing perspective, they're very challenging to create um, and, and make. So that's the kind of stuff I, I really look for. Um, I've been, again, around pyro my whole life and um, – just your standard, just burst in the air. You know, it, it, those are obviously fun and they're they're great. But I'm to the point now where it's it's really about the art and about creating stuff that uh, that hasn't been seen before or stuff that's very uh, unusual or very unique. The stuff I don't like, uh, what I don't like, I would say is probably just unnecessarily loud things. Um, you know, and often in our community, it, how big can you make it? How big of a boom you can make it? Uh, sometimes you'll hear the term in the community thump junkies, you know, the people that just want to hear a big boom and a big, big flash. That's cool. You know, I, that's cool once or twice, but uh, frankly, you know, it's kind of a waste of pyrotechnic composition when you can make something a little bit more flashy and, and a little bit more brilliant. Hardest color to make, easiest color to make. I, I'm not going to probably be able to answer this as succinctly as uh, probably people who are more apt for manufacturing that could. With respect to colors, though, I've often heard that getting a really good blue is difficult. And uh, I think one of the easier colors to make is uh, red because there's several different ways I think you can get to red. Who is the Michael Jordan of pyrotechnicians? And if it's you, say it's you, but who is like, ooh. There's several people, but uh, if I had to just pick one out of it, and I've had the pleasure of knowing this person my whole life, both personally as a family friend and then also professionally working with him, uh, I have to go with our company's uh, president and CEO, Jim Souza, James Souza. He's the full package. Uh, He's an absolute uh, brilliant businessman and a creative genius in so many respects. He designs a lot of the shows, um, you know, and he just has such really good taste in what makes a great fireworks show. Um, if you've ever seen the 4th of July at, at Macy's on NBC, 
that's his work. What show do pyrotechnicians like yourself, like what do they consider to be like, this is the show? Like, ooh, that's that's where it's at, man. From a production perspective, um, what I really enjoy is bringing that happiness and joy to the crowd. You know, you can't watch a fireworks show and not smile. You can't watch a fireworks show and not not point and ooh and ah. And that that for me, I, as I've told people, you know, when we shoot that fireworks show for that ten minutes, you know, I'm Mick Jagger, I'm I'm Paul McCartney, I'm the guy who actually gets to bring that happiness to people, and then I get to fade and go back into my normal life, which is wonderful. Now beyond that, though. Uh, to answer the other part of your question as a pyro, what I really get excited for again are going to be these, uh, these membership driven organizations, the WPA and PGI, because often at those events and at winter blasts for the WPA or the PGI conference, that sense of being able to see that kind of one off, like is so very, very awesome. Uh, because you know, that firework, I mean, it's not like a piece of art that's going to hang in a museum that will be there forever. It, it's a, every time they make it, it'll be a little bit different. It'll never be the same effect twice. And you get to witness this one little thing. And then if you're not there, it's gone. Uh, what I really love about pyrotechnics is the immediacy of it. You know, if, if you're not there, you missed it. And a firework will never do justice on a video recording or a picture. It might look okay, but like the, what you'll see when you're actually there at these membership uh, events where your buddy made that effect, I think, uh, to me, is one of the things I really enjoy. Have you ever been injured? Thankfully, no. But I will point out, I've also got years of experience and safety and training. And um, I'm very, very conscious of the safety side of this. I'll tell you, again, growing up in this and, and shooting pyro with my dad most of my life, I remember something he told me very, very, very young, and I've never forgot it. There are no second chances. Biggest firework you've ever set off, most fireworks you've ever set off. Uh, in terms of size of fireworks, uh, I routinely shoot uh, large diameter shells. Uh, my 4th of July show, which is for the city of Lake Elsinore here in Southern California, our show features uh, 3-inch to 10-inch. So a 10-inch firework is uh, largest routinely I work with, and we'll have a handful of those shells on our show. And uh, I've been part of shows that have had larger shells, 16-inch shells, 20-inch shells, 22s, 24s, uh, but those aren't ones that I've myself physically worked with but i've been there and when they go off man they are something to be seen and it's important to note with respect to shells we're working in cubic space and the difference between like a 10 and a 12 inch is almost 50 percent. you know in terms of cubic volume it's bigger so uh, as these kind of go up in diameter they don't just it's not a linear thing they get like exponentially bigger in terms of uh in all possible ways, in terms of burst, in terms of effects, in terms of everything, cost, you know, for that matter as well. Uh, now, in terms of most number of fireworks, uh, my 4th of July show on the uh, for the city of Lake Elsinore, that'll end up having about uh, 400 cues. So a cue is like you hit it and something happens. And so uh, we'll end up having 400 cues and one cue can end up having multiple shots associated with doubles or triples or things of this nature. And I've worked on bigger shows than that. Um, the Macy's 4th of July show, for example, in New York, each barge has – uh, thousands and thousands of fireworks on each one. And there's like six barges for that show. For you, what show that you've worked on? Because you've worked on some big ones that you look back and be like, yeah, that was it. Like that was, that was, that was cool. 
for me, there's like certain memories, you know, that, that are very like, like stuck in my head that I can remember that were like, oh my God, you know, like that was like for that time and place, like the coolest thing ever. And, um, I've had the pleasure of working with my dad for all of these years. Uh, he's been a member of my crew since I've had my license and, you know, shows that in particular that kind of stick out in my mind for one reason or the other. First show I ever worked on was the Macy's 4th of July show. I was 18. I was just graduated high school in May. My dad took me to New York. Uh, we worked on that, that show. And I remember standing on the barge and I've been to fireworks shows forever, but it was the first time I'd ever worked a show. And I remember standing on that barge and it's raining down the, um, firework debris, you know, cause you're shooting within the fallout zone. We, we, whenever we shoot a show, we know the perimeter in terms of like when the pyro is going to come down and you're, you're wearing a hard hat and everything. Just seeing these, these borders go off and in, in such volume and, and frequency, I just remember I was hooked for life. You know, I was like, Oh, and the smell of the sulfur, you know, the gunpowder that's going off. I, I was just like, this, this is, I'm going to do this rest of my life. There's no question in my mind about it. I'm going to get my license. I'm going to do this forever. Uh, I'm also part of the group that uh, does pyrotechnics at Burning Man every year, uh, which is, uh, takes place as a large temporary city that's constructed outside of uh, Reno, Nevada. And I've worked on that uh, event for almost a decade now. And I remember the first time going and actually doing fire art with pyrotechnics at the same time, same thing. It was like, you know, just like, this is it's outstanding. This is something I want to do forever. Is it different when you're kind of in that fallout zone when you're close? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for a couple of technical reasons. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the technical reason here, and then I'll tell you what it's like for me now when I'm working on a fireworks show. So uh, when you're part of a crew, and I would encourage you, your listeners, if anybody's interested here, I mean, this is something normal people do. You know, I'm a normal person. I have a normal nine to five job, as do almost everybody in the profession. This is not something, call up your local display company, give me a ring, you know, and and you can come out and work on a show. Anybody can, anybody can do this. In fact, there's a shortage of operators, a desperate shortage, pretty much nationwide. If you look at most of the people in here, there's a lot of gray hair. And this is a very physically demanding job. And there is a huge need for a younger generation to step up and, and get their license and come shoot a show. We don't have enough operators to shoot the shows that we could possibly shoot. And the first thing you're going to notice is that fireworks are in 3D. Most of the time when you're watching a fireworks show, you've got the audience and you're standing in front of the actual pyro itself. But you're, you're looking at it in the same way that somebody looks at a canvas at a museum, you know. And when you're at the fireworks site, you're seeing these things go off in that third dimension, which is vertical space. And it's kind of fun to actually see the vertical separation between some of these different fireworks uh, that you just don't get when you're watching it, you know, a thousand feet away. You're just seeing it happen all in front of you. But when you're standing underneath it or next to it, you're seeing happening in, in another dimension that you just can't physically see unless you're actually standing there. And you're also getting the uh, impact of the actual firework going off itself, the thump. You know, there's a visible uh, and a auditory and a kinetic thing when you're standing near this in that fireworks fallout zone operating that show. You got your hard hat on. You got your firework turnout on. You got your earplugs in. You're physically feeling these things go off. You know, they're going thousands of feet per second in some instances. After every single Fourth of July or fireworks thing, we're always going to hear about something. When something does go wrong, like where is it usually? And there are certainly accidents that can occur, but a big instance is where I see this is, is that culture. It's that safety, lack of safety mindset and lack of professionalism with respect to uh, producing these shows and allowing for that culture to, you know, come and, and create an environment where like a safety event can occur. Everything kind of kind of comes from there. What do you think about drones? 
seems to be the new the new thing now, right? Where they're lighting up these patterns in drones. Is that is that a threat to the? That's not like pyrotechnicians aren't like they're gonna take they're gonna take our stuff. <laughs> no, great question. And in fact, our company, we partner with many different drone companies uh, and we've done joint uh, projects where we've had drones flying in the sky and fireworks going along with them. I, I think it could be a great complement to to a fireworks show. And they offer a different type of experience, um, you know, and they're a different tool. You know, why do I have five different types of screwdrivers in my workshop? You know, because I reach for the tool I need for the job that I want to do. Now, saying that as somebody who likes drones and has shot shows that have included drones, Personally, I, I I really like fireworks, and uh, although I, as a technologist, I enjoy the technology behind this, and I think they're really cool with respect to what they do. Um, I don't think it's a matter of uh, replacement; it's, it's really a complement. It's it's a, not an and; it's a, it's an or. You can do both. Do you think that there's going to be is something new coming down the line? We're like, whoa, never seen that before. There's innovations all the time in so many different things from the chemistry of the actual compositions that make the fireworks themselves. Our profession is an industry is constantly striving to, uh, for example, make pyrotechnic devices that are cleaner, safer, more green, more environmentally responsible and sustainable. Uh, there's innovations in safety. You know, in the last 50 years, for example, the advent and introduction of electronic firing and now digital firing that has opened up opportunities for doing pyro musicals uh, and beautifully choreographed shows. And at the same time, improving the safety of the crew that operates those shows. That's a huge innovation. We're seeing lots of innovation in that space as well. In terms of the actual effects themselves, I mean... Think of it as an artist with a blank canvas. Every show you work is a little bit different, and that artist is going to paint a different picture. And I think uh, there's all different types of effects that could be used, and uh, it's about the order, sequence, music, and the circumstances that you put around there. Um, but you know, I'm very—I have a very positive outlook for the industry and uh, and the different types of things that we're going to do. And I believe there's there's going to be new innovations coming, and I'm excited to see what they are. That's pretty much all the questions I got, man. What's kind of coming up next sure. for you? How can people get a hold of you? I know you got a lot going on. Sure, absolutely. And uh, I, I would encourage our audience to go find their local display. Uh, you know, the 4th of July is about community. It's about family. It's about friendship. It's about celebrating America. And one of the best ways of doing that is finding your local community show and supporting your local community, whether you're in Massachusetts or you're in Alabama or Texas or California or Washington, and, and just going out and enjoying it and experiencing it. Um, if you're interested in, in trying this out and seeing if it's a show you want, just look up and find your local display company. Uh, if you're here on the West Coast, check out Pyro Spectaculars by Sousa, pyrospec.com. Um, and you can learn a little bit about us. We have a full training program and we are absolutely always looking for new operators. It's uh, it's something that we're always trying to recruit. And it is, uh, as I've said a few times here, it's a tradition handed down person to person. And we very much want to get you involved to go out there and, and do this for your community and shoot a show for uh, your your town, your city, your church, your whatever. Um, and it's, it's a great way of kind of exploring, uh, for myself, 
Uh, really, about mid next week, I start getting into show mode. Um, as I mentioned, I'm shooting the city of Lake Elsinore here in beautiful Southern California. I've shot this show for many years. I have a great relationship with the city and and uh, our fire authority there. I've been in contact with them. We're starting to do all the planning, and my crew will start showing up. We're actually shooting three shows, second, third, and fourth. And um, over that three days, I mean, it's just going to be a wonderful uh, gathering of old friends and new friends to come together to put on something truly spectacular for that city. And come nine o'clock on, on July 4th, think of me, I'll be standing there with my, my city manager and, and uh, uh, the parks department there and my fire authority. And we're going to light up the sky and bring the, the city of Lake Elsinore and its citizens a beautiful display to celebrate America. No, but you've got a podcast too, but it's not, now you're not just doing pyrotechnician full time, right? You got no. other stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, I do. And, you know, as I mentioned, pyrotechnics brings together people of all walks and all lives. My background, I'm primarily a software developer and uh, I work also in, in uh, um, uh, finance. I'm a, a CPA, I'm, although I'm, I don't practice any publicly any longer, but I do continuing education for accountants and uh, uh, teaching all different types of technology, audit, accounting, ethics, fraud, everything you could think of. And so if you have any financial professionals in the audience and they want to check us out, our company is CPE Today. I want to thank Stephen so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts and also put his information in the episode description. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So now that we really understand how fireworks are made, I wanted to look at, well, how do these big fireworks shows come together? Our next guest has put together some of the biggest fireworks shows in the world, including setting off more than a million fireworks at a time. This is fireworks show designer Phil Grucci. So as the creative director, when you get ready to put together a fireworks show, like what goes into that? So when that call comes in, we kind of feel the client out on what they're looking for. And that that puts us in an area of um, the scale of the, perform- the performance, where it's going to be, if it's going to be in downtown Manhattan, or is it going to be out on a, out on a farm out in uh, eastern Long Island? That sets our stage. Right? What is the stage? Is a roof of a a billion-dollar building, or is it out on a barge on the Hudson River, for example? That's the staging. Um, naturally, uh, this, the business aspect of it has to happen, such as what the budget is that they have. Some of our programs um, range into the thousands of dollars into the millions of dollars. So obviously that puts you into a, into a box that, uh, that you have to work to create something. It's budget and what the stage is. Once we have that, <clears throat> if it's a, if it's a performance that we're choreographing to music, it's setting a music score. So we listen to all the music depending on what the celebration is. Naturally, on the Fourth of July and in Independence Day, everything is very patriotic. Everything is very pure and colorful and red, white, and blue. Uh, if it's a wedding, then it's generally, you know, what's the bride's favorite music? What's the what's the groom's favorite music? What's the message? What's the theme? So when we pick that soundtrack. 
uh, we go through that process of then scoring that music, and then that becomes the bed or the timeline that the fireworks performance is uh, is is designed to. But then there's some clients that have a theme that uh, that we have to create, you know, uniquely, and and what what the celebration is about. And then then the design is the meticulous setting of every single firework device that's going to be displayed in that program at a very precise moment in time based on what that music, what the tempo is. If the music is big, robust, and Baroque, naturally the fireworks have to match that. If it's soft and delicate, you don't want to be ba 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 in the sky real loud. You want to be soft and delicate with the product that you select. So it's it's very much like casting a, a, a ballet or a dance. You know, the certain characters or certain performers act and do things uniquely than others do. So we'll have a firework that's called the golden Camaro. That's very elegant and it bursts. It's very gentle when it, when it, when it displays. And then we'll have a firework device called a report or a salute that all it does is make a bright white flash and a bang. And those get choreographed into that performance at the appropriate time when it matches that design tempo and feel. So then that's all the design side of it. Then that's about a third of the activity. Every every minute of fireworks you see in the sky takes me about two hours of scripting and design time to kind of plot that material out um, on where it's going to be, at what angle it's fired from, which portion of the theater or the stage that we're working with, where does it get located. And we have 12,000 points to pick from to discharge fireworks from. So that's how how elaborate some of the performances can be when we're picking a single device that's going to be on the pinnacle of the building and it's going to fire at a 45 degree angle to the to the south um, that's the kind of precision that goes into some of our performances <clears throat> so once that design is completed then it goes to the programming department and they they meticulously take line by line and and put it into a computer program that then generates all of the drawings and scripts and all of the to give to the pyrotechnicians that are in the field to know how to actually install this this program that I may have envisioned on on my system here at the uh, at the studio, but then translate that into paper where the pyrotechnicians in the field can set all of that product up properly and have the green one fire when the green one's supposed to fire, and the pink one fire when the pink one's supposed to fire. Then it goes down to our factory in Virginia, and all of those characters, all of the the gold willows and all of the red strobes and the gold flitter split, split comets. They all get put in and arranged in order by which they're, they're going to be displayed and they get numbered. So each circuit, every single firework has an electric circuit that it gets fired from. They all get packaged and then they get shipped from our factory, which is a regulatory rich uh, oversight that we have. We follow a lot of laws to move explosives because it's not sneakers and socks. Um, to any place around the country or the world. Some, sometimes we have to put our fireworks in containers and ship them by sea. Most of all of the fireworks get shipped around the United States by truck. And on the rare occasion when the time is very short, the client has to pay the, the exorbitant expense to fly it by air. Then when it gets to the site, that's another five or six. The, the largest program we ever displayed was a Guinness World Record, which we had 250 pyrotechnicians working on site for over a month and a half. Um, we served 15,000 lunches to this team to be able to put the show together that only lasts six and a half minutes. I cannot believe how complicated that is. 
I honestly mm. thought, and I don't mean any offense, like I thought it was like a guy pressing a button. Like, all right, green one. There is a guy pressing a button at the end of the day, guy or gal. We've got plenty of female pyrotechnicians, but there are the pyrotechnic pyrotechnician eventually does press that button that starts it all. But all that work that I just talked about has to happen before that proverbial push of the button happens. So you got like your average big show, say city fireworks, your average like city fireworks. When, when do you need to start planning for that fireworks event? Like how long does that whole process take? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> most of the time we prefer to get eight to a, eight months to a year to prepare for a show. Fourth of July, we have 80, 80 some odd firework displays that we'll produce in that one weekend, that one day. And what I didn't include before in my description is all of the logistics that has to happen, moving a a crew around, getting the airline tickets, getting the hotel, the hotels, getting the trucking routes, getting the permission from the area that you're going into to display the show, the fire department, the Coast Guard, the FAA, all of the regulatory parts of it. It's pretty much based off of music is usually how you're going to kind of choreograph it, right? That kind of dictates everything from and it flows from there. This These days, most of the shows are, um, are choreographed to a, a music score. Uh, there are a few that still uh, wish to have them traditional, which they're beautiful shows where you really focus on the beauty of the product and not the uh, the influence of music. When we talk about these fireworks, you know, the big ones that are being sent off in, in, into the air, like how are they different from the stuff that I buy at the stand? Like how how is it different from that? The chemistry is pretty much the same as far as the combustion to create colors and, and to create noise and create crackle and whistle. Uh, it, the difference is the volume, is the size, is the um, some of the chemistry is different because of the 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 the, the user and the trained aspect of the uh, the professional pyrotechnician than the general public. And by and large, most of it is larger. You know, some of our devices are 12 inches in diameter and they'll burst the size of three or four football fields. There's differences in how it's how it's fused. So when you light it with a with a with a lighter, it takes so much time before it ignites as compared to most of all of our products are fired electronically. So we have very elaborate computer systems that will initiate things electronically. Is it a lucrative business? My family's been producing firework displays for six generations now. Um, I, we don't have a Learjet, but we do support our families. Uh, you know, we work for the money that uh, that we make through the, through the business. There's a lot of employees that are not Gruchis, but yet they've been with us for 30, 40 years. So it's it's lucrative to the extent that we support our families. We live comfortably, but uh, it's not a business where, where we can retire in one year. Was it something that like, is this something that you really wanted to do? Or was this because it's a family business? Like, look, this is always going to be your path. No, no, no. I, uh, I, I went to college and I, got, I had my degree in finance and, and business administration. And uh, I knew when I was a very young age as a, as a young male, um, you know, you got that, that energy and that power into your blood when you were a young, you yeah. know, six years old. I remember being on a barge with my dad in Cody Island. Uh, every Tuesday during the summer, we would have a performance for the amusement park in Coney Island. And then every Wednesday would be uh, Rockaway Playland. So I got it in my blood at a very young age. You know, back in the 70s, um, it was it was a little easier than it is now. So my my son Christopher and my nephew Corey 
um, they couldn't touch anything or even be anywhere near the fireworks until they were 18. So they kind of missed that uh, that period of time to get addicted to it as, as much as I did when I was, you know, that was the only thing I really knew that was as exciting as, as you know, as anything. And I chose, wow, this is what I want to do. I didn't choose it because I felt I was obligated to do it because of the heritage. I was too young to, by the time I could realize that, you know, you had the pressure of a family business, I was already addicted. So I, I and I, even today, even with the challenge, it's not an easy business. It's a, and it's not an easy occupation. Um, but the part of it that keeps you going is the art form, you know, the creative aspect of it and see something um, in, in a short term, you create it, you see it in the sky you see the pleasure it brings to your question before. Yes, it's it's um, it gives us financial benefits to survive and feed our children and put you know, clothing on our backs and have nice houses and nice cars. But the addiction part of it is is the creative part and watching a fireworks show and turning around. Look, look at the audience and, and you're looking at um, the, the five year old uh, grandchild next to his or her grandfather or grandmother. And they're looking at the fireworks show and their face looks almost exactly the same. The only difference is one has more wrinkles than the other. But the expression on their face, it's pretty much the same. The jaw is open. They're not looking at cell phones. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not texting. They're not playing games. They're watching for that 20 minutes or 10 minutes or however long the show is. They're watching that fireworks show. And for the for the elder people, the the, the adults. For that 20 minutes or whatever it is, they have no they have no worries. They, they forget about all the problems that they may have or the problems in the world. What do you think is it about fireworks that kind of captivate us so much? Because it is like it's a bright light in the sky and a loud noise. But for some reason, like it really gets our attention. One, it's um, it's it's energetic, right? It's 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 energy. It's a lot of and it's forceful and 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 it's dangerous to an extent, right? To the audience, it's like it's that little mystery that's going on behind there, behind that behind the the fence line, and saying, "Wow, you could hear the power." And it also it also tickles all of your senses if you think about it, right? You can watch a movie or you could watch a, a powerful fireworks program on television, but do you get the same reaction if you're if you're live? No. You get a better reaction because it's live because you can feel it on your skin. You can feel the pressure on your face. You can, you could smell it too, right? You could smell the smoke in some cases, and it's bigger than life. You know, it's something that's what you feel like you could reach out and touch it, and it's you know your peripheral is filled. Where do you? Where can you get a medium like that in the art forms that provides that kind of excitement? And there's a little bit of it I do believe is the fact that it's 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 got a little element of danger in their perception, like a, going to a car race, right? Think about how many times or what opportunities you have to really hang with your family and all of you enjoy the same thing. So we don't usually get into this this early, but I think a lot of these kind of sum up questions that we would normally talk about. So are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Absolutely. What is the most impressive firework to you? The most impressive to me, <clears throat> this uh, is a shell that we, we actually manufacture. And, and it's a shell that my dad kind of, well, I shouldn't say kind of, did develop and, and, uh, and displayed it in such a way that it became close to our trademark look. It's called the Gucci, it's a golden flitter split, splitting comet. And the shell has multiple dimensions to it. So when it bursts, 
One, the color is very rich. It looks like 14 karat gold, but it's got a shimmer to it. And it has inside of the shell, it's got 52 of these very large comets that when it bursts, it looks like a spider's legs that are coming out. And then just as it appears like it's going to go out, the ends of all of that, the tentacles at the bottom, all spit, split and explode at the same time. So it's a double dimension, a dual dimensional item. It's very elegant. We typically would display that right before the finale. So when you have those fireworks that I always think of the one that's like, boom, and then it goes boom. And then there's like, and then a boom, right? right. So that's multiple shells inside that's of the same. A, that's a multi-break shell. That's correct. Now, or, or the shell has one break, but the components inside of it then have multiple breaks. So you can have a splitting comet, as I just mentioned, a gold flit of splitting comet, which is one break, one burst, but all the little, all the comets inside of it have another secondary burst. So you get kind of a two-stage effect out of it. Are they fickle or are they pretty, pretty reliable in the sense that, yeah, we're dealing with explosives, but this thing is going to act exactly how I think it's going to act. Yeah, it's, it's by the time we bring it to the site, to the display site and to our staging area, it's, it's been tested at the factory. Now it is it is a uh, an item that's primarily made by hand. That's why it's still very much an art form and a craft, because a lot of the products are molded by hand. Although the components may be molded uh, with biodegradable polymers and things like that, but um, the uh, the the construction of it is made by hand. Do do you ever have a failure? Yes, sometimes we do have a failure of the device, so it may not look as perfect as it is. But that's that's way down in the in the sub percentage, you know, sub single digit percentages. And, you know, there's there's laws and there's regulations on the distances to the audience and things like that to accommodate for that. So if you notice on every firework display, you should not be very close to that point of discharge when that firework is coming out. How much like how would your average firework that, that we see in a firework show, like how many how many things of TNT or like how powerful of an explosive is it usually? Well, there's, there is a TNT equivalence to it, but, you know, and the, the general public doesn't necessarily know what a factor of one. This is one half of it, you know, the, the value of TNT. But the, the explosive that we work with primarily is black powder. So where TNT is more of a, um, a cutting type of a high explosive for for doing damage, black powder, although it's explosive and although it makes noise and it does things like push, push fireworks into the sky and burst fireworks open, it doesn't have what's called the brisance as TNT does. So the TNT equivalent of black powder is is lower if you did light them and you did and they did light unintentionally and in bulk, there could be there could be substantial collateral damage done in the area that they fire if they're not launched out of a mortar tube and fired in the sky as they're intended. Is there one firework that you guys have that you would say like, Oh God, like, Hey guys, we, this is, you know, you know, Betsy here is, is, is she's the dangerous one. Or are they all pretty much the same? That, well, no, the, it, there are items that you have to have, you know, as, as I mentioned before, yeah, there's a distance that we have to the audience based on the firework diameter and size. So yes, as the, the size and the weight of the firework gets larger and larger, they become more and more powerful. So if we bring out a 12 inch in diameter shell, 
it's treated with a little bit more, uh, a lot more distance to the audience because it's going to burst about 10 times the diameter as this little two inch shell that you might be able to even see uh, sold uh, down south, you know, legally in a consumer fireworks uh, area. But there's not those items that you look at and go, oh, this one's a lot less reliable than the other one. In your opinion, what is the most overrated firework? Not saying it's not good, just the one that you're like. That's a good question. I never, never even thought about overrated. You know, that's, I don't, I, you got me stumped. You're, you're right. Some of these questions that I've never heard of, what's the most overrated? I guess the most overrated firework would be a salute. It's, a, it's, a, it's the one that goes in the air, boom. You only hear a boom, a white flash of, of, of uh, you know, it's the chemistry that's used inside that gives you the white flash. It's the easiest firework to make um, because it's very there's two components and, and you yeah. put it in a cardboard tube and that's what uh, you know what the bad guys make as far as uh, you know the contraband and the illegal illegal explosives that are out there. People call them fireworks. They're not fireworks. They're illegal explosives because it's so easy to make. So that one I, I would say is overrated because you get too much. There's too much attention to it because everybody says I know how to make fireworks and you know you make that. And it's and it's too easy. What's your favorite color of firework? Blue. Least favorite. Green. Green and red. And the reason why green and red is because some back to the you know green and red is probably the easier colors to make. So when you see a firework show that's predominantly red and green, um, it's just because they can't make a good blue. Blue is very difficult. Blues and purples are very difficult to make a good blue. What's the hardest color to make? Blue. Blue is? Yeah, oh, blue. Okay. Because of the temperature, the temperature band in order to create blue is much narrower than some of the other colors. So the temperature that you have to burn, burn the copper, which, which is the metal that's used to create the color blue, it has to, the, the, the range that you have to get it into in order to get that blue spectrum is much narrower than the other colors that you that you can create. White's easy, and like I said, the reds and greens are kind of kind of the easier ones to make in, in the color spectrum. Blues and purples, those are a little bit more difficult. And then the other thing too is to control the burn, having the ability to control how fast they burn because you can make a really good blue, but it burns too slow. And if it burns too slow, all of the blue items that are coming out of your firework show are landing on the ground. So if you can't control how fast they burn, then you may have something that becomes that shell that you say, hey, we can't shoot that because all the products will land on the ground, put the grass on fire, put the woods on fire. Most fireworks you've launched at one time. 960,000 devices, which was a world record <laughs> in eight minutes. <laughs> 52 different cities spread out around the entire kingdom of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Can you tell me how much they spent on that? Over 12 million, which is not, relatively speaking, it wasn't that much for them, for the, for the size of the component. This question is kind of interesting. When you watch other people's fireworks shows, what is a rookie mistake that other people make in programming their fireworks shows? Like if you're watching somebody else's fireworks show, you'll see it and be like, oh, that's a rookie mistake. Too much, too much of anything is is sometimes not a good thing. So sometimes people feel that the more you put up in the sky, the better the show is going to be. So if you may have seen some shows that um, 
what we call whiteout. So if you if you fire uh, the the beautiful blues, the beautiful greens, the beautiful reds, the beautiful oranges, purples, and all that, and you fire them too quick and you have too much in the sky, it basically whites out. You don't see the colors anymore. Plus another factor is when you when you when you fire too much, you got too much smoke, and then uh, after a few minutes of the program, it obliterates the sky where you can't see the fireworks behind it. What is a show? That you said that you feel like people people should go see that at some point. There's a performance that we have every year at the Hagley Museum and Library, which in, which is in Maryland, uh, and it uh, it's at the old Dupont factory that made black powder on the brandy on the Brandywine River, and that's a program that they've maintained their traditional ways where the old set pieces and the and the fire paintings and the pinwheels and all of the old style of fireworks still exist in that program we've been displaying that for many years now and that one for us is a special one because it brings back all of that old school type techniques you know, they, they haven't gotten overly addicted with the technology where everything becomes a little stale sometimes when you when you have super precision and it's always, you know, this, 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 after a while, you want to see a little bit of organics to it. Things kind of free flowing. And that Hagley Museum and Library is the one that you'd want to go see. What would you say overall is like when you look, look at your career so far, what would you say is like, that's the coolest thing I've done? There's, yeah, there's, there's a few of them. <laughs> and that, that's what gets me waking up in the morning to do another one. Sometimes I wonder while you're while you're producing them whether you could take on another one because you, your body could physically take it anymore but yeah uh, one i would say was the world record in 2014 when we had uh it was in the middle east and we had uh that's where we had the 250 pyrotechnicians and we had the 12,000 devices on the on the on the uh on the roof on the, on the building of the burj khalifa which is the world's tallest building we lit up the entire island that was in the shape of a palm tree with 250 boats and 52 flatbed trailers full of fireworks. And then we had the world islands. We had 132 islands that we fired from all simultaneously at the same time. And when you came, you know, when we, when we accomplished that feat, it was something that you know, when you get compliments from your own industry members and your competitors and said, how the heck did you guys do that from a, from a technical and logistics perspective, it was pretty impressive. Um, from a creative perspective, uh, you know, we, there was probably Statue of Liberty, um, the Brooklyn Bridge when we when we produced the Brooklyn Bridge program, um, and most recently, I say most recently, but 2014 was the 200th anniversary of, of the national anthem of our Star Spangled Banner, and we were commissioned to produce a fireworks show. They wanted to have something unique, and and it was just at the time when we developed and patented a microchip that we put inside of some of the very high-end fireworks that we display. And that microchip gives us the ability to launch an item in the sky and put a 30-foot dot in the sky of a color. And when they came to us for the celebration of our national anthem, it was at Fort McHenry, which is in Baltimore, which is the, the area that Francis Scott Key actually penned our national anthem. So we proposed to them to put an American flag in the sky that's 700 feet wide by 500 feet high, right at Fort McHenry. And they gave us, they commissioned us to do that and to sit there and watch that flag unfurl in the sky in front of the, in front of the fort to commemorate our 200th anniversary of our national anthem was, 
that was a special moment in my life because you know all of the design and the engineering that it took to create that and it and it came off like perfectly it looked so spectacular this is the last one for me what's the next thing like what's the future oh you know something what the future is right now is where we're where we're putting a lot of our resources as on the environment right so fireworks when they go up in the sky they burst and whatever goes up comes back down to the ground paper or whatever they're made what they're whatever they're made some of it burns up so we're we're working very strongly very hard and investing a lot to uh to reduce the carbon footprint to to make the debris that comes down biodegradable um it is biodegradable now because it's all paper but make it such that it can be molded you know with similar to the way you mold plastic but yet it's not plastic uh, we don't use any plastics in our fireworks because you know over the waterways and things like that it's not it's not healthy for the environment so we're going down the path there um, we're also going down the path in technology where um, some of it's on the business side which is boring you know the production management and all that good stuff but on the fireworks specifically to be able to address something put the address uh, so when you load it into the mortar you don't have to have any wires attached to it you just loaded in the mortar very quickly and, and the firing systems find those shells, you know, with RFID technology and things like that. Um, to the audience, it's not really, it's not really seen, but it, but to the, for the um, efficiencies and safety, it's, it's a, it's an advancement for us. Um, and then we're always developing things like the pyro drone, uh, like the microchip and things like that. So the audience does appreciate those new and innovative scenes. So, you know, I sometimes get get uh, going in multiple directions. Fortunately, we have a factory down in Virginia. We have uh, just under 200 people in our factory in Virginia, so we could develop and make our own fireworks without, you know, off uh, having them go offshore and get made in in Europe or into in China or Asia. So it's it's exciting. It's exciting. And another part of our business is actually in uh, simulation, manufacturing products for our Department of Defense. So uh, you know, hand grenade simulators and uh, mortar simulators and things like that fireworks have a great synergy bangs smoke flash right loud noises so we make all of these uh, training devices that are not lethal and then we can train the troops on the delay time of throwing a hand grenade in the bang without having the lethal the lethality of the uh, of the shrapnel so that's another part of our business that's actually saved us during the COVID periods because our factory was essential and when the fireworks displays basically stopped in 2020, a lot of our employees, we moved them down to Virginia to, to sustain their employment while we were going through this 2020 horror of, uh, of COVID. America loves fireworks, but what country likes fireworks the most? America has won. I could tell you, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a you saw last year in 2020, uh, if any one of the, any neighborhood that I know of this last year just opened up, you know, to uh, to shooting their own fireworks shows because of, you know, being pent up in the house and things like that. I guess the the other one would be maybe Spain. You know, Spain does some pretty impressive firework displays. China, naturally, on their Chinese New Year, they have huge firework shows coast to coast. Although they're they're starting to suppress um, having those kind of, you know, they in China. There are no regulations or were no regulations. The public can go out in the middle of the street and, sh and display something as large as what we would what we would produce right in our own, you know, on one of our professional displays. But they were having, you know, many, many injuries and they started to cut down on it. So 
but I think I think the United States is by and large the United States consumes the most fireworks in the world in their consumer fireworks side. So the public, the general public, there's only I think two states in the country that do not allow fireworks. The majority of the other states all allow some form of fireworks. So it's very popular here, and I'm, I suspect this Fourth of July you'll see quite a lot of activity out there. I just ask you to please make sure whatever anybody that's listening don't do it if it's illegal it's not worth it right now with the security of the, of the world and the country and um, you know what we're going through right now if you are caught with fireworks illegally in your community you, know, you could be in a lot of trouble and it's not worth it go to either a professional show or only use the consumer fireworks that are legal in your area in your community i want to thank phil so much for joining us if you want to connect with him we have also linked to him on our social media accounts and have put his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's bring in John Schull and get to the pointless part of the show. All right, I was going to start this off a different way, but John has a nice shirt on. How how many buttons down? What's the lowest number of button buttons <laughs> down you've ever gone? Like how much chest are you showing? <laughs> Well, I don't wear shirts without undershirts, uh, first off. Like, I don't wear uh, button-downs without a undershirt, uh, frankly, just because I don't have chest hair. So, wait a minute. You think that people need chest hair to make the kind of open shirt look good? Yeah, I mean, I... You're a, you're a, you're a fan of chest hair. Uh, am I a fan? I mean, no, I don't like having hair. I'm fine with not having hair, but if you have... If you have it and you want to rock it out, great. Here, here's what I'll say to your question. Uh, for somebody like me, uh, I usually go one button unbutton if I'm at work. So not the neck, oh, not the neck button, I see. right? But and not the top button, but the button below. But that's acceptable. I can accept one button or two buttons unbuttoned. You go any farther down than that, I feel like that's too much of I'm trying to make a statement. Yeah, trust me, I am not trying to make any kind of statement with any of my fashion choices. Uh, I dress like a five-year-old little boy, I think. Yeah, I mean, I can see it, <laughs> right? Like, you dress you dress like you went into the store and picked the first thing off the rack. Like, you can't wear a black undershirt with a blue overshirt, man. Come on now. Why? What am I? Everybody knows that. What am I supposed to wear, white? Yeah. I don't have really any white T-shirts. You could buy them. I, I could buy them. You are correct. Yeah, that's. I don't know if I would ever buy a black undershirt. I, that's a bold. That's a risky choice. Well, I've been wearing it for a decade and a half now in in my in my field. So, isn't that kind of crazy? The fact that you have T-shirts that are probably older than that are older than a decade. I have a T-shirt that's might be twenty years old. Listen, God, God love them, but we you know we just started having interns again, and some of them are nineteen and twenty. And I almost can say that, that like a couple of my shirts that maybe I wear every day on a daily basis are older or at least as old as you. I'm not there just yet, but another five years I'll be there. I think outside of a house, possibly a car, clothing is probably the oldest thing that most people own. Not a memento. Like a memento doesn't necessarily count. Like something that you still use on an active basis. I mean, what you, if you get a good sweater, if you take care of like a good sweater, that can last for decades. Now, wait a minute. When you say sweater, are you talking about like a real sweater, like Mr. Rogers' sweater? Because <laughs> I don't own a sweater. I have sweatshirts. I'm not going to put on a sweater. 
I, I mean, I guess. I mean, I, I wasn't really thinking of Mr. Rogers, uh, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, I, I, let me rant for a quick second about Mr. Rogers. Uh, why? What could possibly be wrong with Mr. Rogers? So being in the business that you used to be in and I am in, that being the news business, I am always skeptical of Mr. Rogers. No, dude. I think he was a good, nice person. I think that the world has made you skeptical of people too much a little bit. I don't think that Mr. Rogers, there's no indication. Don't besmirch you. This <laughs> now I'm going to go. Upset. I'm going to get upset here. This is the second time that you have tried to besmirch childhood legendary heroes. You said Bob Ross was not memorable and would be forgotten by people, despite the fact that he's been around and his TV show has been around for 40 years. And now you're going after Mr. Rogers. I mean, I, I'd go after Mr. Rogers before I went after Bob Ross, I'll tell you that. I do remember the story about, like, Mr. Rogers and why he always wore sweaters because he was in the war and he had, like, his kills tattooed on his arm and he had to cover it up. Like, I always loved that story. But I think Mr. Rogers was universally a pretty good person. That's the problem with today nowadays, right? Don't meet your heroes, and it's very difficult to meet your heroes. Everybody has a past. Everybody's done something. Everybody's got something. Get over it, man, and don't besmirch Mr. Rogers or Bob Ross. I, I, I wasn't besmirching them. I just I, I just you were gonna... think if you were to do a deep dive into Mr. Rogers' background, you may, you know, nobody wants to be a co-host on a kid's TV show. Nobody wants that job. Maybe if you care about children and care about education, nobody wants to teach young children, I'm just... right? Like, there's not, like, an entire industry of teachers. I'm just, okay, maybe this will make more sense. Uh, to me, Mr. Rogers fundamentally is no different than Dr. Phil. Uh, or, 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 I mean, name any of the daytime talk show hosts. That's all he... Mr. Rogers was on PBS, right? That's like saying there's a problem with Elmo. Maybe there is. Or what's, what, what's, what's, your, what's your issue with Big Bird? Maybe there is. That he's nice and sets a good example for people? I mean, maybe I don't like yellow birds. I think you're trying to make a point that you can't make. Right, I think that you're on your own here on this one. Right, I think so. I'm probably on an island. I mean, I'm not. Ooh, let's do. Wait, no, no, stop looking it up. Let's guess. Celebrity death. We did that once. We were going to make it a regular thing. When do you think Mr. Rogers died? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say 2007. I'm going to say 1998. Let's see. He died 2003. We were right in the middle. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely been a while. But I felt like 2010-ish around there was too soon. I mean, listen. I mean, his middle name was McFeely, so that's all you need to know. What was his real middle name? McFeely. That's it's probably. I'm sure it's not pronounced McFeely. I mean, it's M C F E E L Y. How else would you pronounce that? Probably like McFeely. Okay, sure. Whatever you. It's a that's, that's a bad <laughs> nickname to have. To that's like that is the that is. For your point, that is the best possible middle name for him to possibly have, <laughs> right? Like, but you could never do that with that middle name. No, I don't. I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I know. Can we just move on? Are you done I'm with this to now? Put it together. Uh, yeah. What? Uh, no, what? I'm starting to put something. Together. What's the question? Do you have any questions? Is that it? That was the question. I was going to ask you something else, but then I realized that you're wearing a black undershirt with a blue shirt over it. You got I mean, do you have pit sweat? No, not today. Even though I now let me rant a second time. Oh my gosh! So, the air quality in Detroit was the worst in the world this week. 
because of these. Yeah, dude. The, no, I mean the planets. The planets fogged. The Canadian. <laughs> like, but when? Oh, you gonna blame? You gonna blame Canada? I mean, why? I mean, these were burns that were like intentionally set. Some of them. So thank you, Canada. Appreciate you. Well, I'm sure that that's not the kind of thing that people do lightly, though, right? Like you, that's to solve a larger problem, right? Like you got to cut off the leg. I was like, oh, they cut off my leg. Well, they were trying to save the rest of you. <laughs> Me. Okay. 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 Let's give some shout-outs. Outs. 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 What do you think of my echo? Do you have a record? Do you have a record collection? Yeah. How many records do you have? I look in your basement, and I can see behind you that you have a record collection. How many records do you got? We don't How many records is that? I, mean, I don't know. Probably 100. That's kind of crazy to me. See, that's like 100 times 20. That's like $2,000 right there. So if you want to go rob John's house, he's got at least two grand in records there. Well, hey, the, the hole in my basement is at least patched. It's not sanded or painted yet, but it's at least patched. So when you go rob John's records, make sure to kick a hole in his basement. <laughs> oh my God, I'd be so angry. Uh, all right, let's give some shout-outs, shall we? No one wants to hear us. What's your favorite record? What's your favorite record there, record snob, beer snob? Oof. You are a snob. You know that, right? I don't really have. You've a, got some snob tendencies. You can't ask me about my favorite record. Like that's not fair. Um, sure, you can. You can just. You have one favorite at the end of the day. You always have. People are like you can't ask me that. I can't answer that. Yes, you can. I mean, I, I have a few. So they're not. They're not children. I have a few. I mean, it's. It's. I don't have one specific. I'm a mood listener. Give me one specific. There's seven billion people in the world. I can tell you who my favorite is. Me. It's my wife. Oh, fair enough. Uh, I'll take a close second. Uh, I mean, Nas and Damian Marley, Distant Relatives. That's one of my favorite albums that I own. Whoa, look at you. I mean, it's... Look at you sit down there with your snob beer, listening to your records in your new basement. I have, yes. Yeah, I the, I, I have all the old Bush. I'm a, I, I'm a big Bush fan, so I have all their old albums. Big Bush guy, too. <laughs> Whatever. Like a big Bush? I feel... <laughs> All right, let's get some shout-outs here. Uh, let's see. We'll start with... Are you going to start smoking cigars? What could what could take your snobbery to the next level, do you think? How could you snob up with your fancy records? Do you have a special record player that looks... Coming, does it look old-timey? Coming from a guy that has a refrigerator that you can see inside of without opening the door, you're going to call me a snob. Came with the house. Okay. I didn't buy it on my own. Okay. That's the most worth... That might be the... I'm going to go on a rant here now. The fact that what they are doing with appliances is ridiculous. I don't need to see inside of my fridge. I don't need to have Wi-Fi connected dryers and washing machines that tell me when the thing is done. I do not need any accessory features on any kind of appliance besides for it to do the main job. That is all I need it to do. I don't need my oven to sing to me. I need it to cook chicken. <laughs> Stop with that crap. I mean, I'm okay with it. I'm I'm fine. I'm not okay with paying any extra. If somebody was to say to me, this fridge is going to cost you $500, or you can get this other fridge that also costs $500 and one cent, and it has Wi-Fi connectivity, you can see in into it, it will play you music, it will do all of these kind of things with artificial intelligence that will tell you when the food is getting bad, I would not pay that extra one cent for it. Not a cent. <laughs> well, that just sounds like a... I would leave of anger with that sales purchase. I don't want it. It's not worth it to me. For one cent? One cent? Yeah, be one yeah, cent. Would... 
No, it wouldn't. Would do it. No, anyone wouldn't. would do it. At a principle, at a principle, I would not. Well, you may actually not. Fuse. So. I wouldn't, and you thought I'm fairly stubborn. <laughs> when my mind is made up. It is made up. Ain't that the truth? All right. All right. Uh, here's some shout outs for you all. You didn't answer the question week. about your snobbery. What's your next? What's your next snobbery choice going to be? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't think of listening to records and drinking a nice beer once or twice a week as snobbery. I would rather mm, spend six to ten dollars on one beer to enjoy it than spend fifteen on a twenty pack of Bush Light. I'm sorry. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Give me that twenty pack of Bush Light. Oh my God, <laughs> you're right. you're ridiculous. You need to be reeled in. Are you going to start? You know, but you're going to you're going to start taking up like smoking cigars. But you're going to be the guy who like does it out of a pipe. <laughs> I mean, I've had cigars. Is that what you're going to do? I mean, not not on the regular basis. Usually, do you, do you have a record player that looks like it's slightly old timey? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Back. <laughs> I mean, how they don't really make them contemporary. I mean, you don't have to get one that looks like it was made in the 1940s. I wish I had one. I bet you does yours have does yours have wood on it? It has fake wood. Yes. Exactly. I mean, I wish I had a one from the 1940s rest my case i don't even know what you were trying to make but uh all right can we finally get to the shout outs are you done yeah all right lee horsley ken mcmahan kevin shiflet oh that that guy would be called kevin mcmahan yeah he would yeah he would uh andy miller ken shiflet the chin balancer baby a couple episodes ago shout out to ken shiflet yeah right he was liking. He was all over our socials uh, this past week. So I don't know what a good guy. You know, what we did, but he, he like, must really like you. Um, Earl Shaw, Derek Cochran, Finley McLeod. I like that name, Finley. Yeah, I do too. Jackson, man, boy, boy or girl? Yeah, it doesn't Finley it doesn't have to be one or the other. Maybe not a girl, Finley. Here's another uh, dual name: Jackson Gardner. Jackson's not a girl's name. It can be a girl's name. Jackie. Kinsey Schofield. Long There's a hundred percent. There is a there is a hundred percent chance that a girl named Jackie is going to tackle you in flag football. Yeah, but I still think Jackson can be dual purpose. Hundred percent chance Jackie's going to tackle you in flag football. Okay, and you're going to feel some way about it. I, you know, I have the distinct pleasure of having broken my jaw playing flag football in college my sophomore year. Uh, oh yeah, you got. Who was he? I don't know. I. Uh, yeah, I oh boy, uh, Kinsey Schofield <laughs> and Cole Pantana. That only took twenty five <laughs> minutes to get through. So awesome. Uh, all right, that was one of my better jokes. A couple, a couple easy ones here for you. Uh, you get some chin music. You take two to the chin. <laughs> uh, wild caught or farm raised. What are you buying first? The cheaper one. Just answer the question. I don't give it. I don't. The cheaper one. I could. I don't care. <sighs> Wild caught or farm raised, whichever one is the cheaper, whichever one is on sale. I could care less. You know, I sh- I should have known. I should have known you were going to give that answer. That's my. That's my bad. I don't care. Can you tell the difference if I gave you two eggs and like this is a free range chicken? Yeah, because they're, they're. You'd be like, oh, that's in it. I, I can tell. Yeah, they're kind of different colors. If I gave you the cooked eggs, there's you wouldn't be able to tell at all. 
I mean, I, I like eggs. Fancy pants is your old record player. Here we go. I'm really not a snob. I'm probably like the most chill person you'll ever meet. Yeah, I would. Well, I mean, you're a little bit snobby. You got some snobby. You have high class. You have higher class taste. Yeah, I mean, wh- whatever. Um, submarines. Will you ever? Uh, I well, once again, this is. I know what you're going to say, so I'm just going to ask the question. Have you ever had cable? Yeah, I've had cable. Are you? I don't really. We're, we're of an age, though. We're we're of an age where we probably have had cable. I think people in their low twenties. Maybe even mid twenties have probably not. So my maybe even upper twenties. My question is, I don't know if you have it now. I, it doesn't really matter. But say you don't, you didn't have it. Would you ever go back to it, or are you stream streaming services from here on out? Because this goes with the story. Because Peacock used to be free, and now they're charging uh, NB, you know, Xfinity customers, and it's it's kind of BS. I mean. Wait, but it was free with ads, right? It was completely free, not like Hulu where you can get the cheapest version that's like five bucks a month, but you got to sit through the ads for it. Yeah, it was it was free, but now it is, uh, you know, they're offering different deals to different subscribers. Like I'm paying two ninety nine a month, and then next June it will be four ninety nine a month. It goes to the regular rate. Mm. So would you rather have that? That's why you buy Coors Light. That's why you buy that twenty pack of Bush Light for fifteen dollars. You get a whole month. You get a whole month of whatever the thing streaming service you were talking about, but you got to have one of your snob beers. I, I just like a good solid beer, man. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I like. Well, then you're going to have like, to put okay. up with not having a good solid TV program. Okay, you like whiskey, right? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah, you're not going to buy, you know, well, you do buy bottom barrel, don't you? I go, I don't, the only thing that I order when I go to a restaurant is I get a well whiskey neat. <laughs> Of course you do. Well, whiskey neat. Yep. Well, whiskey neat. It's usually, I can't really tell that much of a difference. Uh, Most well whiskey, unless you're at like a dive bar, like a roadside trucker stop kind of place, most well whiskey is going to be, right, like that's going to be probably a 15 to $20 bottle. It's not like you're getting <laughs> the $9 jug of like Royal, the RR or whatever that's called. It's like they, you can drink it and you can use it for stripping paint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I actually really – I don't remember the last time I've ordered whiskey at a bar, like to sip on. Mm. I usually just do shots because I'm a man. I'm 40. No, I think you, I, I think that you do shots when you're like, I need a sex on the beach because <laughs> I can't – I don't want to taste it. <laughs> Drink it slow, right? I need this area numbed up. No. <laughs> Take it – I don't want the numbing shot. <laughs> Take it like Take it like a man. I need to Slow forget my entire life and just drink away. Right. Yeah, we're about that age. Yeah, we are. We're getting old. How, how do you feel about, like, have you realized yet that, that you're, like, old? Yeah, I've turned a corner. Yeah, dude. I've turned a corner where I kind of, like, sometimes I'll be like, whoa, that's me now? <laughs> or, like, oh, my body doesn't feel the same as it used to do. I've turned a corner. Yeah. My whole family did at the same time. Even my wife, where sometimes I'll be like, oh, I don't quite rec- – like, oh, she looks different. <laughs> but in a good way, right? Looks good. In the best way. Looks great. Yeah. Still still the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. But You're a smart man. I am. She's a, she's a next – she's right. She's close to me. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, all right. Uh, I don't know where I was going to go with this, but I thought I'd ask you, 
how you feel about uh, the Supreme Court of these United States basically saying you will have to start repaying your student loans. It's a two, it's a two point question. One, do you still have student loans? I don't because I did uh, various things throughout college that allowed me to get by without student loans. So I guess my second question would be when, and I, I don't know those statistics. I don't bother to look them up. Uh, when do you think is a formidable age? And obviously everybody's different. So just ballpark it of when you should have your student loans. Then say it's just a four year university. It's not doctors or anything. It's just a four year university. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't think that there's an answer to that anymore. I don't think so. either. I think that college has become so incredibly expensive and so difficult. Right. And I think that there's a difference between like, all right, look, you're going to pay this thing and you've got to pay this cost versus different organizations coming in. I'm not that familiar with student loans. I was really lucky. I got a good job. I also did some things on the side <laughs> that, you know, involved various selling of herbal substances <laughs> that allowed me to uh, smart get through college without having any of that. But like there's a big difference between kind of paying what you owe and then having big companies take advantage of you and jacking up a price with the promise of future success. Sure. That's a big difference, right? And that's a kind of a topic that I don't really know enough about. But that's whatever how I think however you feel about that, that's a major burden on society. And some people get bailed out and we got no fucking problem with that. And some people don't and we got no problem with that. Yeah, right. So we gotta pick we gotta pick one. I mean, listen, you actually gave a pretty good answer there. So I think we should just move on. Do you know what time it is? Candle of the month. The outlaw candle connoisseur rides again. Oh, wait, no. How did, wait, how does a horse go? Sometimes I screw it up. It's like, have you ever ridden a horse? Uh, yes, but not, not like, not like actual riding, like sitting on it at a carnival and. So no. Yeah, I've never don't never been on sitting a wild on something is not. No. That's like my five year old saying, "I drove a car because he sat in it while <laughs> I was parked." Why would you even like? Well, you just got up there to get up there. I think I was a child. They just like just let you sit on the thing. You, no, you can't make it go. I mean, just sit on it. Well, you know, he's they, just gonna stand there. They guide it, it with their hands and things, right? Like you're you're on the the horse, but like you're being guided by its trainer or abuser. I don't know what the difference is. But I don't use this word often, but, like, it's kind of being a pussy. I mean, I, I was, like, six. What am I supposed to do? Just, you know, be a man. put on my spurs and be kick it and just run through the carnival on this horse? I was actually, I don't know what age I was. I want to say eight, but I'm sure that I wasn't eight. But I did go horseback riding, and we got close to, like, the barn or the stable or wherever horses go back. The horse got excited and took off running with two of its other buddy horses. <laughs> I fell off with my foot stuck in the stirrup and got dragged Oof. through a field. That sounds totally awesome. Yeah, it was probably pretty crazy to watch. Uh, all right, so my candle of the month this month, we're going back to one of the old staples, Yankee Candle. Okay. I, gotta, I, I, gotta, I really, whenever you give these candle brands, I never know what the that's, difference that's is. That's fine. Uh, this one is called Pink Sands. It's a, uh, okay. it's, uh, you, so it's one of their, it's pretty new, probably within the last couple of months, uh, various sizes. Once again, I suggest maybe getting the, you know, the three wick, the larger candle, 
it's 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 going to dry the air a little bit because it's pink sands, right? So there's a little bit of you know Himalayan sea salt in there, a little Himalayan salt. Uh, what do you mean dry the air a little bit? I haven't heard this technical t- candle term. It's uh, I mean, listen, I may have just made it up, but I'm going to go with it. It's uh, kind of where the air, like it's just the fragrance. Like there is no, like it's just what you smell. There is no, like you say you fart. And the fart doesn't even penetrate it. It's mm, just the so it's the only thing that you're going to smell. It's going to permeate the room. Sure. Yeah. Okay. okay. And it's uh, it's it's I don't know. It's very relaxing. I would suggest, and I don't think I've suggested this yet while doing one of these, uh, but I love taking this candle into the shower during one of my half an hour showers in the morning that we've discussed. And uh, where do you put it? What do you mean? You just like, put it on the. Are you talking counter. about like actually in the shower? No. Like you've got like a little thing, like a shower beer, where you put it where it's dry. <laughs> you just got a candle in there. No, 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 uh, nothing like that. You just put it on the, you know, maybe the counter, or uh, you know, we have a little ledge, like a little divider wall between my toilet and and the sink. So you put it on that, and it's good. It's good stuff. So you're you're just walking around with candles in your house, like Ebenezer Scrooge in the Christmas Carol, right? <laughs> I like with your little candle holder. Do you just pick it up, or you got a special candle holder, or one of your fifty sets of tongs that you have? I mean, I do have special candles, like for instance, or special candle holders. I do have some Fourth of July festive candle holders, uh, but this this candle would not go in there because this is a this is a different kind of candle. <laughs> I just can't believe you and your love for candles. And John is. Like, no one would ever say that John is not, like, a man. Thank you. But this is just incredible to me. Like, no one would ever look at you or who knows you and say, like, no, John's John's not a man. I Like, he's not. And, then, and a man in the sense of somebody that handles his responsibility and stands up for his family and does the things that he needs to do. Yeah. John absolutely does that. Sure. But he's also a guy who does that. He's willing to protect his household. But he's going to walk around with his special candle holder. I mean, some would say that I'm that comfortable with myself that I don't mind, you know, I, who, I don't care. I don't care what you think. Right. Like John is a man masquerading as a giant pansy. I was, I would say panda, not pansy, but. Oh no, I specifically, (laughs) (laughs) I can't, how many tongs, how many pairs of tongs do you have now? Just a tong update. I mean, we've talked about, I mean, I think I've told you between five and 10, I don't understand why that's. So insane. Because <laughs> you hold the candle like a man. I just don't understand why that's. Pick it up, palm it. Palm it where you pick it up and like the candle is burning the top of your hand. Palm it like a basketball. That's how you should be carrying it around. Let it burn you. I apologize everyone who who is celebrating the candle of the month with me right now having to listen to you ramble about it. <laughs> I have a serious question about candles to ask you. Mm-hmm. Okay, what was the name of this candle? Pink Sands? Pink Sands, yes. So if you got a candle that was like, let's say they're small, medium, large, one wick, two wick, three wick, will the same model make of candle smell differently depending on upon the size? Uh, there are some candles, yes, that the they're made in almost a layer sense. So, uh, you know, like a three wick that might burn for 40 hours, you're going to get vanilla first and then uh, we'll just chocolate and then strawberry. As where if you get maybe the one wick that only burns for eight hours, you're probably going to get all three of those scents, you know, very quickly because it is meant to burn quicker. I don't understand why you haven't like pursued some sort of candle <laughs> avenue. Like you think that my job about would give me like my own segment on the TV, but no, 
You should really have your thing candle of the month. I mean, well, you do have yeah, your I do. candle of the month. I'm fine. You should do something with this. You have an incredible amount of candle knowledge, and all you've done with it is be on a shitty podcast. <laughs> I am fine with uh, my knowledge being on this podcast. That is great. Okay. It's a worthy cost. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. How much was it? Uh, what it cost? We it varies about? from. Uh, you can get the small one, like that. Like I said, the eight hour burn for on sale for five dollars, or you can get the the three wick, which I bought for about twenty five. Yankee Candle always has sales, though. All those uh, companies that specialize in candles and waxes have sales. But is this like Kohl's, where everything is always on sale and it's not really ever on sale? Like, oh, this thing was seventy bucks, but you can get it for nineteen ninety nine. I mean, like, that's not a doesn't really actually seem like a good deal, to be honest. I mean, you could argue that that's I mean, deals aren't deals ever, right? Like, yeah, that's true. All right. Speaking of deals, we should go into our top five. OK, so our top five is top five off brands. What's your number five? Uh, so first off, I, I went pretty much pretty much food only. Um, and most of my stuff, I think it's primarily food. Yeah. Most of my stuff is going to be regional. So I will. I'm just going to pick like the Walmart. I pick like the Walmart brand or something. That way maybe more okay, people okay, know. So okay. my number five is like uh, like great value Greek yogurt over nice expensive yogurt. I think any kind of dairy product, you can you can, you can can go a little bit cheaper, right? Because there's some regulations that make sure that like it's, it's not going to poison you. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's expensive, man. Like Elenos or whatever that thing is. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like 20 bucks for a Yeah, no. Nope. Get that sh- out of here. My number five, I really thought about putting it higher. I remember it being a little bit differently in my youth, but now it's apparently cool. My number five is Champion. Okay, yeah, Champion. Champion, yep. champion clothing, which was always borderline borderline cool. It it could it was right there. It was right there. I mean when we when we were growing up, it was like that Fila. Fubu, remember yeah. Fubu? Yeah, it wasn't Nike or Adidas. Like so, when I was growing up, Reebok. It was Nike and then Reebok, and then Adidas kind of took over for Reebok. Yeah, yeah, but Adidas definitely stormed the the shoe game. I would now almost put Reebok under Champion. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think Reebok still has more major sponsorships, but I, I also have no idea. I could be completely talking out my butt there. I think they went into fringer sports. Like, they lost out on basketball and some of the major sports, and then were like, well, let's go let's – sponsor, let's, let's sponsor paddle boarding. Tennis. I think, like, New Balance is a big tennis sponsor. New Balance is another yeah. kind of – not off-brand, but, you know, not Nike or Adidas. Main provider for nursing homes. Sure. Old people wear New Balances, man. Your dad doesn't have a pair of New Balances. I 100% guarantee he does. Same pair of New Balances. The same kind since 1999, probably. Wearing the same pair of shoes, exactly. All right, what's your number four? Uh, so I have like market, market pantry ketchup, but it's really like any kind of off-brand condiment uh, other than mayo. Mayo has to be a brand, but uh, you know, ketchup, barbecue sauce, uh, mustard, I'm fine with off-brands on that. Hmm. I agree with you about mayo. Mayo is the thing that, like, ooh, I don't want to get that wrong. That seems like the kind <laughs> of thing that you don't want that to be bad. Yeah, you do not want it to be bad at all. I don't even know what mayo is. Was it eggs? Dairy? Eggs, milk. Mayo, dairy? I think. 
maybe a little cream. Various things. Um, my number four is Mr. Pib. Out of all the off-brand uh, Coca or uh, Coca-Cola pop choices, soda choices that you could have, and you have Mr. Pip, it's fine. Uh, not it's not my top forty, but that's fine. Mr. Pib is probably the best off-brand soda, in my opinion. Uh, oh, okay. I I'd probably go with once again, like maybe uh, you know a local brand, like we have Fago here in Michigan, or. You know, something like that. Like Fago Cola is better than Pepsi or Coca Cola to me. Um, what number are we My on? My number three, number three is I have uh, like any kind of knockoff ice cream versus any of the big name ice creams. Oh, the tub, like the giant tub when you get ten pounds of ice cream for like nine bucks. Yeah, like Meyer brand, Kroger brand, Walmart brand, Great Value, whatever. Like Costco sells a gigantic tub. It's the same stuff, pretty much. Red Vines is my number three. Ooh, Red Vines are good. Knock off Twizzlers. Okay. Would you put Red Vines over Twizzlers? Yes, but only because I think Red Vines are a little more raw. They're like a little more – they're not as like slippery as as Twizzlers. That makes sense. They're a little more – Oh, that does actually make sense now that you mentioned it. Yeah. There's a slickness that a Twizzler has that a Red Vine does not. Yeah. More of a grip on a Red Vine. Yeah, grip. More real. More for the people. Yeah. It's a man's tw- Twizzler. Uh, my number two is I have uh, basically any kind of knockoff like meat. So like, but I mean like bacon, sausage. You know, like Meyer sausage, great value bacon. I don't need to be buying nine dollar Hormel bacon when I can get the, literally the same thing for four dollars. It's just because it's not a name brand. It is shocking to see the price differences on some things. We were like, whoa. I mean, that's it's it's probably made by the same company. I remember when I was in Florida, I just got into Florida, and I, uh, a coworker of ours, Sean Lavin, said you have to go to Publix and get a pub sub. So I go, I go to get a. They were all right. I go, they were. I, all well, right. I go to get a pub sub, and you know, uh, the the deli counter person goes, "You want Boar's Head for four dollars more?" Uh, no, just give me the regular stuff, I guess. Anyways, Boar's Head's pretty good, though. I mean, they have good cheese. I will say that that's one of the things. There have been some times, though, in my life in which I got the nicer version of something, and I was like, whoa, that's actually a lot nicer. Like, I had crappy bikes all the time growing up, and even when I was an adult, I'm like, I'm going to ride this thing in college. <laughs> and then I got, like, a nice bike. Like, it was, like, 800 bucks. I was like, holy crap. Like, this is a totally different thing. I mean, that's different, though. That's I mean, that's completely different. What's your number two? Anything Kirkland brand, which is Costco's brand, I swear it's actually it, – I don't think it's any different than any of the other stuff. But any, like, Costco brand thing is fantastic. You could say the same about, like, a Trader Joe's some peop- or Target. Some people have argued with me that Kirkland vodka, Kirkland alcohol is better than some of the name brand types of alcohol. Right, exactly. Uh, okay, what's your uh, – my number one is going to blow your mind. And you're gonna be like, oh, that's exactly what number one should be. What's your uh, number one? Uh, knockoff coffee versus expensive brand name coffee. My number one is generic pharmaceuticals. See, I thought about putting that on the list. You're absolutely right, by the way. That is number one. Yeah, that's, it's number. That's one. That's easily number one. Uh, but I can make an argument for coffee because some of the name brands are twenty, thirty, forty dollars a bag, 
or you could go get some Duncan brand and they're not a knockoff, but just uh, as reference uh, for $8. Only time it isn't as good is when you're getting it from like Starbucks fresh. Hmm. Okay. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I do think that pharmaceuticals has to be number one, right? Like, cause it's literally like the generic is exactly the same thing and costs like a thousand dollars less. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I mean, you're, you're right. You're right. I have uh, I have asthma. And there's two different kinds of medications. There's like albuterol and Prevental, but the brand name is Prevental, and it's like 300 bucks. And albuterol is like you can have three of these for 9.99. I mean, oh, it's pretty. It's the same thing. You can get Tylenol from Kirkland brand Tylenol for 10 bucks, or you can pay 30 bucks for the, a smaller bottle of Tylenol. Like it's just it's what it is. What's your, what's uh, what's in your honorable mention? Uh, knockoff peanut butters. Uh, yeah. Uh, like cookies, like Nabisco, um, or I'm sorry, like great value cookies over like Nabisco stuff. Any kind of basic juice is no different than a name brand to me. Uh, and then, and then I have, uh, uh, like any kind of just generic potatoes, like tater tots, French fries, you know, you, you can oh, buy yeah, brand I agree with that. I have a. I strongly believe that only the first half of the peanut butter jar is good. Once it kind of loses that oiliness of it, okay. I want to get rid of the jar. Right? You know what I'm talking about? I don't agree. Like with you can you. go basically. You're going to be scraping the edges. The, the edges of a peanut butter peanut butter jar are not as good. I mean, I really think that ha- only half of a peanut butter jar is actually. Good. Okay, you ready? I mean, it's all good. I'm going to bring this back so. around and prove that you're right because I don't eat regular peanut butter i am a snob and i eat sun butter how much is sun butter snob. it's a lot more expensive than regular peanut butter probably three You're not or four dollars more okay i really don't peanut butter is something that i never remember how much that costs because whatever it costs it's it's a good deal <laughs> it's worth it right yeah if it was a hundred dollars like if you could get a 20 pound tub for a hundred bucks it'd be like well it's a good deal for peanut butter <laughs> yeah right Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for the Profoundly Pointless Summer Special. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a quick review. really helps us out. We really appreciate hearing from people. And let us know what you think are some of the best off brands. I really would put Red Vines ahead of Twizzlers. I I like them better. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.